Welcome to another episode of our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Visit our website for complete collections of your favorite old-time radio series. Remember to follow us so you won't miss new releases from SolvedMystery.com. How do you do? This is Clive Brook. I've called today's program in this series, Fiction is Stranger Than Truth. Perhaps you may not agree with that statement, and on occasions I may have doubted it myself. However, when you've heard the story of Reginald Sidney Buckfield, I think you'll agree that Mr. Buckfield's literary exploits were stranger, though perhaps not so gory, as his experiences in real life. You see, Mr. Buckfield was an author, only an amateur, I admit, but his experience in another field is clear. Mr. Buckfield was also a murderer. concerns a lady called Mrs. Sines, a married woman in the middle thirties, living with her husband in Brumpton Farm Road, Strood. Her husband was engaged on night work at one of the busy munition factories in the neighbourhood. The period was the autumn of 1942. On Friday evening, October the 9th, she set out on a visit to her parents' house some distance away. She left them about half past nine, taking with her her little son, aged four, in a pushcart. Only one person ever saw her alive again. Hello. Hello. Is that the police? This is Mr. Wood. I live in Brompton Farm Road, Valhalla. That's the name of the house. Can you come round straight away? I found a woman lying outside on the road, badly wounded. The doctor's here. He says she's dead. The police naturally set themselves the task of questioning all persons who were, or who might have been, near Valhalla on the night of the crime. The morning after the murder, a policeman on duty in the country road near Strood stopped a soldier in uniform. What do you want? I'm a police officer. Where have you come from? Me? I've just come from Oak Street Camp. Oh. You stationed there? That's right, chum. I'm in the Gunners. What's your name? Buckfield. Gunner Buckfield. They call me Smiler. Here. Let's have a look at your paybook. I, uh, I have not got it on me. Oh. How long have you been stationed at Oak Street Camp? Oh, uh, about six months. What are you doing out here at this time of day? Are you on leave? Uh, no. You're an absentee? Well, I was going back today. Here, I think you'd better come along with me. Back at the police station, Buckfield told his story, which seemed to be true. He had deserted from his battery of the Royal Artillery at Gravesend a fortnight ago. Since then, he had worked as a casual labourer at various local fruit farms sleeping at night in sheds and on haystacks. Sometime previously, he had been stationed at Oak Street Camp, and evidently that's what had brought him back to the neighbourhood. 
The police questioned him in every way to test his story. And the more awkward the question, the more Buckfield smiled. I'd like you to tell me your exact movements yesterday evening. Well, after I left work, I had some tea at a cafe. Then I had a game of billiards. Then I went to a pub called the Steam Engine for a drink. I stayed there until ten past eight, and then I went for a walk. You went for a walk, eh? Well, suppose you tell us the route you took. Smiler explained in detail his movements. And according to him, he passed the top of Brumpton Farm Road at about ten o'clock. When the police had finished questioning him, he was put back in his cell. The following morning, when the warder brought him his breakfast, he said, There's something fishy here. I'm being held for something more than being an absentee. They don't take your fingerprints and pull your hair out for that. Do you know what I'm being detained for? No. It's funny. Every time I break out either a break or a murder, I've already been interrogated for two. Hearing of this remark, the inspector sent for him. must be keeping me for something more than being an absentee. What do you think I might be keeping you for? I've been interrogated for three before. Three what? Three murders. But I haven't mentioned murder to you. No, but there must be something in it, as you've examined my hair and my hands. I've tried to find out from your man, but no one will tell me. I see. Take a look at this knife, Buckfield. Have you seen this before? No. The last knife I had was a jackknife, which I sold about a fortnight ago. This is a table knife. It was found in an orchard near Bumpton Farm Road. About 300 yards away on Friday night, a woman was murdered. According to your statement, you were not very far away from the scene of the crime. Did you see anything of a woman and a child in a pushcart? No, nothing. All right. Take him back. This way, Smiler. Now, the police are forbidden to hold a suspect in custody for more than four days without preferring a charge against him before a magistrate. That time being up and the chief constable not yet being ready to charge him, Buckfield was handed over to a military escort as an absentee. As he left his cell, he passed a bundle of sheets of writing paper to a detective who accompanied the soldiers, saying, There you are, officer. Read them very carefully. You'll find them very interesting. He went away with the escort, and the policeman examined the sheets of paper, which both he and the chief constable, and later on the jury at the Old Bailey, were to find very interesting indeed. They were headed The Mystery of Brumpton Road by Gunnar Buckfield. He had done what many other people have done in recent years, though never perhaps in similar circumstances. He had written a murder story. <laughs> Road Murder by Gunner Buckfield. 
Hello, Smiler, what an awful night. Not so bad, Bert replied. As they entered the bar, a remark was passed by a cheeky chap that it was a lovely night for a murder. Yeah, lovely night for a murder, eh? Bert is a married man with a wife and one daughter. His job is doing night work round Strood or Rochester. Happy-go-lucky sort of guy, cares for nothing. Lives along the Brompton Road somewhere. His wife and child are... Like many authors, both before and since, Mr. Buckfield never quite knew when to stop. His story developed from a mystery into a defence. A defence to prove how one smiler, at any rate, could not be the murderer. Mr. Buckfield, in his work of art, hinted the foul deed was the work of a mysterious stranger. The identity of the stranger was to be unmasked in a later chapter. But unfortunately, Mr. Buckfield's manuscript, and perhaps his imagination, ran out at the end of chapter six... Buckfield's manuscript ended with the words. And that, my dear friends, brings it to Girl Murdered by Person Unknown. We hope the police succeed in their duty to find the murderer so as to clear myself, Gunner Buckfield. This is a partly true story and partly fiction, showing you how easy it is for an innocent man to be convicted of crime and what can really happen. Yes. Hmm. I think I'm going over to the military prison to have another little talk with Mr. Buckfield. Come on, Sergeant. Very good, sir. Good morning, Buckfield. Morning, Inspector. I have to tell you, Buckfield, that a soldier of your acquaintance, Gunner O'Hara, has given evidence that he saw you last week at the farm where you've been working using a knife exactly like the one I showed you, the one that was found in the orchard. It's a blooming lie. I never had a knife. Let me face him and have it out. Oh, well, we'll see about that. And then there's another thing. You gave to the water yesterday a manuscript of a story you'd written. That's right. Buckfield, since your arrest, have you had access to a daily newspaper of any kind? No. Why? Then if you've had no access to any information, where did you get all the details that you wrote about? I made it all up. It's fiction. It's how I thought the murder might have been done. I've written stories before, you know. Anyway, I'm not guilty. Here, listen. If I'd done what you think I'd done, I've got an alibi. After I left the pub, I met someone. About half past nine, it would be, in Dallywood Lane. An ATS girl pushing a bike. She works in the officer's quarters at 542 Battery. She's got a lisp. You ask her and find out. Yes, sir. I went down Dallywood Lane about 9.30, it would be. Were you pushing a bicycle? That's right. Do you know this man, Buckfield? Oh, yes, I know Smiler. Did you meet him on this night? No, I haven't seen him for weeks. Could Buckfield have known that you would be in Dallywood Lane about this time? I expect so. I often go home that way. By that time, the evidence of the knife and, above all, Buckfield's manuscript had given the police enough grounds to apply for a warrant. He was charged with murder. 
At the police court, he reserved his defence and was committed for trial at the Old Bailey. Throughout all this, Smiler continued to smile. Field began at the Old Bailey on the 20th of January, 1943. May it please your Lordship, members of the jury. In this case, I appear for the prosecution of my learned friend, Mr. Blundell, and the prisoner is defended by my learned friends, Mr. Hector Hughes and Mr. Waters. As you have heard, the charge that is made against him is a charge of murder. He is charged with the murder of a woman named Ellen Ann Simon who was a married woman, aged about 35 years, who lived happily with her husband at Rochester. There's one child of the marriage, a boy of some four years of age. She lives with her husband and child at a house called Thames Mount, 177 Brompton Farm Road, through, which adjoins Rochester. It's just an outline of this case that you should be able to follow. What the prosecution say to you here, you first of all have a man who was in the vicinity at the time that Mrs. Simons was murdered. Secondly, a knife, which after the murder has been discovered is found to have upon it human blood, and it is identified. Thirdly, it is said by the prosecution that if this man did not commit this murder and is entirely innocent with regard to it, how comes it about that he is able, while he is detained, to write a long narrative showing in that narrative that he has knowledge of those extremely intimate details of the movements and habits of the woman who, in fact, was murdered. And upon that view of the matter, subject to any explanation which may be forthcoming, the prosecution say to you that this man must, in fact, be the man who murdered that unfortunate woman upon that night. Now, with the assistance of my learned friend, Mr. Blundell, I will call the evidence before you. Sir Bernard Spilsbury was called in to give evidence concerning the wounds received by the murdered woman. Uh, Sir Bernard, would you look at this knife, please? May I touch it? Yes, certainly. In your opinion, could the wound have been caused by that knife? It would have required a great deal of violence with this knife to produce that injury. The knife appears to have been sharpened, does it not? On both sides, towards the end of the blade. Yes. The cutting side is sharpened, and a certain distance of the blade at the back is also sharpened, but not higher. Is there a notch on that knife? You say it has been sharpened. Do you see a notch on it anywhere? Yes, my lad. There is a notch on the cutting edge at a short distance from the point. That is the exact position of it. The jury can see quite well for themselves, my lad. The witness, O'Hara, was then called. Is your name James Edward O'Hara? Uh, yes, sir. On the 6th of October of last year, were you one of a number of soldiers working at a fruit picking at Belanco Farm, who? That's right, sir. Was the prisoner in the dark buckfield there also? He came there about half past twelve, sir. What did you notice him doing? 
Well, about half past three, Buckfield pulled a knife out, cutting a faded apple so uh, One minute before you go on, uh, you say that the prisoner was there. What was he dressed in? A khaki. In battle dress? Yes, sir. Not in civilian clothes? No, sir. You say you saw him cutting an apple? I did, sir. Did you see what he was using? Yes, sir. A little short knife, sir, bone-handled, with a short blade. Uh, one moment, a little short knife with a bone handle. What colour was the handle? It was a cream colour, sir. Did you notice anything about the blade? Well, the blade came to a point, sir. It looked as if the blade had had a right good sharpen on a grindstone. Did you notice anything else about the blade? Um, there was a little bit of a nick out of the bottom, sir. Would you look at the knife we've got here, which is Exhibit 5? How did the knife you saw compare with that knife? Well, it, it was very like that one, sir. Did you see any nick on that? Uh, just hold it up and look carefully. Uh, there is a bit of a nick here, sir. It looks as if it has a good sharpener at both ends, too. Not all the evidence was so damning. Other witnesses failed to identify the knife as being the same as the one in Smiler's possession. All the same, you'll recall that Smiler himself had said the only knife he possessed was a jackknife. On the second day of the trial, the clerk of the court had the unenviable task of reading out Smiler's long manuscript, which took well over two hours. And due to the fact that the author had only the haziest ideas of punctuation or grammar, the reading was not very intelligible. On the third day of the trial, counsel for the defence called upon his principal witness. I call the accused, my lord, Reginald Sidney Buckfield. Call Reginald Sidney Buckfield. <coughs> Are you Reginald Sidney Buckfield? I am, sir. In civil life, do you reside at 210 Portland Street, Houghton, near Mansfield? I do. And in civil life, are you a labourer? I am, sir. I think you are a married man? Yes. And you have three children? That's right. All girls? Yes. Aged respectively four years, two years and one year? Yes. Smiler's trouble started when counsel for the prosecution began his cross-examination. Before you were stationed at Tollgate, Gravesend, you were stationed, were you not, at Oak Street Camp? That's so. That is known as 542 Battery. That's right. How long were you stationed at Oak Street Camp? I think 11 to 12 weeks. Did you get to know the neighbourhood round Dallywood Lane quite well during the time that you were stationed at the camp? Oh, I knew it a little bit, not a lot. You um, knew Brompton Farm Road, did you? Oh, not very well. You've been absent since uh, what date in September? I can't quite tell you that because I, I don't know. I don't know the date, but I do know it was on a Saturday. I may take it you were sleeping in the haystack <laughs> next to the camp, you say, every other night. Roughly nearly every other night. And working during the daytime at farms round about. That's so. Uh, just take that knife in your hand, Exhibit 5. Thank you, Ashok. I just want to understand quite clearly what you say about that. Are you saying that that knife that you now hold in your hand is not the knife the Chief Constable showed to you? This knife I've never seen before, and it's not the knife that I was first shown. You say that it is not the knife the Chief Constable showed to you? Well, that's so. 
I've never seen this one. Do you say that you have never seen that? I've never seen this knife at all, my lord. Never up to then? I've never seen this knife at all, my lord. Never up to when? I've never seen it in my life. Well, uh, nobody wants to catch you out, but uh, did not you see it even in the police court? No. I've never seen the knife yet. This knife? No. Did you never see... Never saw this knife. It was kept out of my sight. But Galloa, or us, it was shown to him, but I never saw it. This was a surprising statement for Smiler to make. But it was in keeping with his sense of the dramatic. As an author, he evidently believed in poetic license. After a time, the prosecuting counsel came to the question of the manuscript. What did you know about this murder when you began to write that story? I didn't know anything about it except what the police had told me or asked me questions about. You are not being asked that. You are being asked what did you know, never mind how you knew it. Your statement reads, when I began to read the story, I knew about the murder from what the police had told me. Uh, let us take it by stages, it, it might be more helpful to you. Did you know where the murder had been committed? I did not. You did not know the name of the road in which it had been committed? I did at the time. I knew the Brompton Road then, yes. Because they'd taken me in the morning to have a look for the stack in the car. It was fenced off. I'm not asking you whether you knew where the Brompton Road was. You told me sometime previously you were a little hazy about that. What I am asking you now is this. Did you know when you began to write this story that the murder had taken place in Brompton Road? Oh, no. Brompton Farm Road? No. If that is so, can you tell me why you headed the first chapter of your narrative, The Mystery of Brompton Road? Well, the, the thing what seemed a mystery to me was me being brought in, being questioned about something that I couldn't get no light on. No, no that is not the question. You were asked why you headed the first sheet. Not a mystery, but the mystery of Brompton Road. Well... I was thinking of London at the time, my lord, of Brompton Road. The second batch, as I have it, is also headed Mystery of Brompton Road Murder. Both batches are headed The Mystery of Brompton Road. You say, and I quote, When I headed those two sheets, Mystery of Brompton Road, I was thinking of Brompton Road in London. Is that right? So, then the fact that the murder had taken place in Brompton Farm Road near Strood was a, a mere coincidence. That's so, sir. A very disastrous thing, was it not? That you should have, out of all the tens of thousands of roads in London, selected the one road that happened to have the same name as the road where the murder had happened. <laughs> spoken 400 years ago by his people, a people who loved the land. Make me walk in beauty. Make my heart respect all you have made. Make me wise that I may know all you have taught my people, the lessons you have hidden in every rock. In some Americans today, that spirit is reborn. Throughout the land, areas of thoughtless litter and pollution are being restored to their natural beauty. And yet we still have so far to go. So everyone must get involved. 
to contact the Keep America Beautiful team nearest you, write Keep America Beautiful, 99 Park Avenue, New York, New York. People start pollution. People can stop it. A public service message of this station and the Advertising Council. The chain of evidence was almost complete. After this, there could be little question of believing anything that Smiler said. Following his cross-examination, counsel for the prosecution summed up and was followed by the counsel for the defense, who did everything possible for Smiler. o'clock on the following day, the jury retired. They remained out for an hour, though it's difficult to imagine what could have delayed them in returning their verdict. Members of the jury, are you agreed upon your verdict? We are. Do you find the prisoner, Reginald Sidney Buckfield, guilty or not guilty of murder? We find him guilty. You find him guilty of murder, and that is the verdict of you all? It is. Prisoner at the bar, you stand convicted of murder. Have you anything to say why the court should not give you judgment of death according to the law? No, sir. It was no surprise when, a week or two later, the official announcement was published that Buckfield had been reprieved. The Home Office had evidently satisfied itself that he was insane. Not in the strictly legal sense, perhaps, but in fact. Today, he's in Broadmoor, doubtless smiling as he covers whatever paper is allowed him with what must be regarded as only partly fictitious accounts of the three murders of which, at various times, he'd been suspected. I do not feel that professional writers of detective stories need fear his competition. At the same time, I'm bound in fairness to add that I have read worse stories than The Mystery of Brumpton Road, but then its author had the advantage over the rest of us of first-hand experience of murder. Thank you for joining us and enjoying our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Please remember to leave us a review and to follow us for frequent releases.